Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good day. Welcome to our Bible study. If you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 16 tonight. And uh, I've titled the message, The Loyal and the Disloyal. And uh, we see a contrast here in, in our study as we work our way through here. And uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to come together and study the Word of God. I pray that you would minister to our hearts as we open the Bible. Uh, thank you that it is the, the Word of God, uh, the living Word. And we thank you for the, the Spirit who moves as the Word goes forth. So move in our hearts as we study together. Help us to see those uh, things that you would have us to see and make the applications that you would have us to make. So we commit our study to you. Ask for your blessing on all the ministries going on during the hour here. I want a youth group as well. Uh, just uh, commit our time to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, you note on the uh, outline, the overhead, we are in 2 Timothy and the, uh, the theme here. Well, I guess I've got to turn this on. The theme is loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is Paul's last letter, and he's kind of sharing what's really close to his heart uh, in his last words, which are important words. We worked our way through the book. We've come down to these personal instructions, greetings, and benediction at the end of the book here. Timothy was uh, his closest associate, and Paul was pretty close to a number of people, but I think Timothy was probably his closest associate. And he felt like he's a son in the faith. In fact, he addresses him as my son Timothy on different occasions. Well, as his closest associate, he's really built into him in a big way. And uh, he comes down the stretch here and he emphasizes a couple of major things. Preach the word, beginning of chapter 4, where we're in. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. As we see there in verse 5. Now, uh, Paul was a great example of this. He had preached the word. He had fulfilled his ministry. He's now coming down the stretch, and he says, uh, verse 7 there, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, a lot of people want to apply this and say, I fought the good fight. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? What fight are we talking about? He's talking about spiritually, you know, his, his race for the Lord, his mission from the Lord, what God had given him to do. Uh, he had fought the good fight. And uh, so there's a crown uh, laid up for him, as he says in verse 8. Well, now we come to the closing uh, thoughts of the, of the letter. He really bears his heart here. Uh, you know what life is about? <clears throat> What's life about? What do I often say? I obviously don't say it enough, right? Life is about relationships. That's what life is about, starting with your relationship with God but then, you know, there's all kinds of relationships that really, life is about relationships. You boil it down. And, you know, in the thick of spiritual warfare, uh, there's relationships that are disappointing and there's relationships that are encouraging. And if you've been down the track very long, you'll know both. You'll experience both. It's just the way life is. We see that reflected in what he has to say here tonight. Uh, it's part of the battle. We want to stay on track for the Lord. We don't want to get bitter. You can see some things here that may have made Paul bitter if he allowed it, but it doesn't seem to me he did. But uh, note uh, the contrast between the loyal and the disloyal as we work our way through the text. Let's uh, begin uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Marianne. <clears throat> 
Yeah, no, that was very good. Thank you. Uh, yours says make every effort to come. Yeah. Yeah, mine says be diligent. And I had in, I had in my little notes here, it means to uh, make every effort or make your best effort. So, yeah, that's, that's it. this word, be diligent, and by the way, is the same word, exact same word in verse 15 of chapter 2, where he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So it's that idea of, of diligence, making your best effort. Uh, so he's really wanting to see Timothy at this point in his life. And uh, be diligent to come to me quickly. He says, you know, don't waste your time. Don't take your time here. Uh, there's an urgency here. Uh, come to me quickly. Why might he want to, Timothy to come to him quickly instead of, you know, when you get a chance? <laughs> he was not. That's true. What's the context here? Yes? That's right. He's on death row. And when you're on death row, especially under Nero, uh, I mean, this could happen any time. Uh, so, so don't delay. And so... Uh, yeah, he says, come to me quickly. And, uh, of course, there was a situation earlier when he was on, in his first imprisonment. He had lots of visitors. But it seems to me at this point he does not have many visitors. Uh, the situation has changed here in terms of uh, the context. And so uh, note, uh, as he's writing Second Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. This is a context of suffering now. Uh, again, Paul's on death row for sharing the gospel. And it's dangerous to go see a man like that. Uh, okay, maybe you will take you too, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, so notice he says, uh, don't be ashamed uh, of, the, of the Lord nor of me as prisoner. Share with me in the sufferings. And now we get to uh, 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 17. Lord, grant mercy to the household of Ornesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chain. So, uh, you know, this was a real, real challenge here at this point. Uh, would you stand with Paul or would you not? I mean, if your life might be threatened because you're going to be there to minister to him, that might make a real difference. And so he, he um, is wanting Timothy to come quickly. And then he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, uh, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Um, Demas has forsaken me. Now, Demas is an interesting guy. Uh, I call Demas, uh, Demas the downer, right? Demas the downer. I mean, he was the guy, uh, earlier he had been, and I think this, he names him first. I think he's uppermost in Paul's mind at this point. And uh, Demas had, had been with him on previous many years even in terms of ministry. But now he's abandoned the ship. And uh, we fee, see in Philemon uh, 24, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas is listed, Luke, my fellow laborers. So Demas is listed as a fellow laborer at that point. In Colossians, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So again, Demas is mentioned. So again, he had been there along the way, been part of the team. And 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the president. That's what we're looking at right now. So previously, been part of the team. He'd been there, fellow laborer, and now he has forsaken me. Uh, I think this was heavy on Paul's heart. You always hate to see somebody leave, right? 
when they were side by side with you in the ministry and all of a sudden they walk away. You hate to see that. And uh, especially when somebody's been long term with you like Demas had been with Paul. Now, um, it was a really challenging time for Paul. You have to understand that Rome did not, Rome did not have prisons like we have prisons, right? They did not provide for you. They didn't provide food. They didn't provide clothing. If you didn't have friends to, to provide food and clothing for you, I'm sorry, you're just going to die there in the prison. That's the kind of thing you had at Rome. And they didn't care. It was not uh, very humane in that sense. And so when Demas left him, boy, Demas had been there uh, with him uh, for a long time, lots of different occasions. But now he, is, he has forsaken me, uh, he says. Forsaken means to utterly abandon. Uh, to just uh, desert, uh, to leave a person in dire straits. That's the situation here with Paul. Uh, he has been let down very in a very painful way by Demas. It's interesting. You know how he says this. Uh, he has forsaken me. We might expect him to say what? Demas has forsaken the Lord, right? But he doesn't say that. He says he has forsaken me. Now, I think uh, his relationship with the Lord wasn't right either, obviously, because of what he's doing with uh, the servant of the Lord, uh, the Apostle Paul. But uh, he definitely is feeling this very personally. He has forsaken me. Instead of standing with me in the battle, uh, he has forsaken me. He's let me down. And that was a very hurtful thing, I believe. And then he says, why? Having loved this present world. Uh, having loved this present world. Uh, this is the very opposite of being faithful. Um, we're not to love the world. We're to love the Lord. We're to love God's people. But we're not to love the world. Uh, the world system, this present world system, having loved this, this present world. Uh, he's only thinking about himself at this point. Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Um, you put any weight on it, it's going to hurt. You chew on it, it's going to hurt. Uh, that's, this is very painful, I think, for Paul at this point. This is a story about, a true story about John MacArthur. Uh, at one pastoral staff meeting, John expressed his love and appreciation for his fellow men. Uh, their response was unexpected. They chided, if you think we are your friends, you have another thing coming. Uh, this internal mutiny led to a pivotal elders meeting known as Black Tuesday, in which MacArthur's leadership at Grace, Grace Community Church, was seriously challenged, uh, proving wherever God is at work, so is the devil. However, John ended up being affirmed by the elders as providing true spiritual leadership for the church. But, you know, that was a, a really interesting, heart-wrenching time there and what they went through. Uh, and for years that was talked about in terms of Black Tuesday. Well, it's nothing new. Uh, There's some people really, it's about self. It's about their self agenda. It seems that uh, Demas was in that category at this point. Having loved this present world is, is literally the now, the now age. Living for, for this present age, for what this world has to offer. Instead of thinking about an eternal perspective, he's, he's living for now. And this isn't suiting too well for living for now, or identifying with Paul in this context. And so he has abandoned uh, Paul. He has forsaken him. Uh, let's see here. Having loved this present world, note the contrast here. James 4, 4, adulterers, adulteresses. James is really a straight talker. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Boy, what's that say about Demas, having loved the present world? It doesn't say good things, that's for sure. Not in a good place. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. By the way, John is writing to believers, so it seems to me it is possible for a believer to do this on some level. Otherwise, the exhortation to not do this doesn't make any sense, right? So uh, uh, a challenge here as far as uh, not to love this present world as Demas did. Uh, what a tragedy. Here at the end, he forsakes the Apostle Paul. By the way, the word loved here is the word agape, which is the intense word uh, for love. Uh, he has, having loved this present world. Uh, let's see here. Many think there may uh, be a deliberate contrast between Demas, who loved this present world, verse 10, and those uh, who have loved, same word, the Lord's appearing in verse 8, between living for this present age and living in light of the day of his appearing. So that's just one of the, the uh, things that is brought out by the, the commentaries, which is certainly something to think about. We have the, that contrast in pretty close context here. Uh, and then he says, and he has departed for Thessalonica. Now, question is, where was Demas at with the Lord, do you suppose? Any idea where Demas was at with the Lord? Well, we know that he uh, forsook Paul, and we know that he uh, loved the present world in doing so. But you know what? Demas is one of those guys where it's impossible to know where he was really at with the Lord. Is this a guy who's abandoned the faith? Well, he doesn't really say that totally. Certainly at this point, he's in love with the present world. John says, don't do this, meaning uh, to some degree, a believer could do this. Was he a believer? Was he not a believer? There was certainly a cloud over his head. I don't think we know. Demas is one of those guys where it's kind of hard to know where he's at. I mean, here in the darkest hour for the Apostle Paul, he leaves him. I mean, what kind of love is that? Well, it's not love of the brethren. It's love of the world. And lots of places would indicate, well, that's not a good sign. And where are you with the Lord? I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out eventually. <laughs> but uh, where Demas was, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, that batter back and forth. It's like I, we don't really know where, where Demas was at. But we do know that he abandoned Paul uh, at the time of his great, the hour of his greatest need, in effect. Uh, evidently, there's some indications in Scripture that very possibly Thessalonica was where Demas hailed from as home, and so it seems to me he's kind of gone back to home uh, in Thessalonica, most probably. And then Cretans uh, for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia, um, different places there that they were sent out to, probably for ministry purposes. Uh, these others are not linked with uh, Demas in terms of having loved this present world. They're just, uh, they've gone different places. And we see this very well may have been ministry-oriented. You go down to verse 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So Paul was still sending people out in terms of, of ministry and mission as well. Uh, let's look at where some of these places are, if you can see on the map here. Paul's over here in Rome. And uh, Demas went to Thessalonica, and then it says Cretans uh, uh, went to Galatia, and so uh, Galatia is over here somewhere. I'm looking for the word Galatia. There it is. <laughs> so quite a ways away. And then the other one here, uh, Titus Dalmatia. Another word for that is Ilicrum. So he didn't go too far. But uh, far enough, where he wasn't going to be of much help, that's for sure. Um, all right. 
then, um, yeah, uh, anything else before we go to verse 11 and 12? Yeah, Pat? Right. Perhaps it just talks about that he sends greetings, right? Well, yeah, you know, he, he uh, says something about the Colossians. Yeah. He says, typically, you know, love is patient and so on. Yeah. And he gets to Ephesians and he says, you know, and greetings, right? Yeah which doesn't tell us really anything positive or negative other than he's sending greetings. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting. He does, he's not all positive <laughs> like he is with the other fella. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verses 11 and 12. Who wants to read that? 11 and 12? Yeah, Vince. Okay, only Luke is with me. If you got to just have one guy with you, Luke's not a bad choice, right? Uh, what was Luke? He was a physician. He was a doctor. Uh, probably in this context, it would be good to have a doctor close by. And uh, Dr. Luke had been a faithful co-worker as well. He, was, he linked up with Paul during his second and third missionary journey. Uh, Luke was kind of a unique guy in terms of key leaders in the early church because he was a Gentile, we think, right? And Luke wrote, uh, what books did Luke write? Well, he wrote Luke. <laughs> what other book did he write? The book of Acts. Is Luke a short book? Is Acts a short book? No. In terms of volume, Luke mo wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. I mean, a huge amount of ink uh, Luke uh, spilled as far as New Testament scriptures. So, uh, yeah, he's a key player. Uh, and so he was there. But then he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, this is interesting because Mark and Paul have had some history in the past here, too, right? Uh, you will recall, uh, by the way, this is high praise when he says he is useful to me for ministry. I think coming from the lips of the Apostle Paul, that's about as high praise as you're going to get. Uh, useful for ministry. I mean, this is what his whole life is about, his ministry. This guy's useful uh, for that. Um, but on the first missionary uh, trip, uh, we had uh, Mark, also known as John Mark. He was with the team with Paul. What happened to him? Well, he went back home. I don't know if he got homesick. I don't know what his issues were. But come time for the second missionary journey, uh, he had a cousin by the name of Barnabas, right? And what did Barnabas, Barnabas said, hey, let's take him with us. And Paul said, oh, no, we're not taking a quitter. <laughs> we're, not, we're not going through that again. He left us in a lurch on the first missionary journey. We're not taking him. So it was so strong between Paul and Barnabas that they went their separate ways. And, uh, but now after, let's fast forward about 20 years. It's about 20 years later here. And now, somewhere along the line, things have gotten patched up, and they're back on track with each other. And uh, now, Paul has good things to say about Mark. He's, he's a good man. 
He's useful. Bring him. He can help me. He can help me in the ministry. He's, he's useful to me for ministry. And so uh, what, what a blessing that is and what a testimony that is, how, how God turned Mark's life around and turned Paul's whole perspective around here too as far as uh, being willing to work with him and, and give him a second chance and bring him along. You know, as you don't know what people are going to do, right? <clears throat> Demas ended badly, but Mark ended well. Demas served long-term and in the end failed miserably. Mark served short-term and failed, but in the long-term did well. This just shows you, you never know what people are going to do. Uh, those that you think won't be faithful sometimes come through in the end, and others you trust to be faithful often prove unfaithful. People are unpredictable. It's kind of true. You, you really don't know what people are going to do. You like to think you do, but you, you don't always know. This is interesting how this turned out in this situation here. And note uh, Paul's whole mindset here again. He's thinking about ministry. Uh, he is useful to me. He didn't stop there. It's not, there's no period there, right? For ministry. Uh, he's thinking about the ministry. Uh, you know, I need some, I need some people who are going to help continue on with the ministry. He's still thinking about ministry, even though he's on death row. And we'll see that in the, in the next verse here as well, where he says, Antiochus, <clears throat> I have sent to Ephesus. Again, Tychicus was a co-worker. We think he probably carried the letters of uh, Ephesians and also Colossians. And uh, he is referred to as a, a beloved brother and faithful minister. So Paul did have high regard for him. And he had sent him to Ephesus, uh, still thinking again about the, the big picture mission and how to advance the cause of Christ and still doing what he can uh, to coordinate things to that end. Evidently, uh, Paul sent the letter of 2 Timothy by the hand of Tychicus with the plan of Tychicus filling in for Timothy as pastor at the church at Ephesus so that Timothy, in turn, could come to see him in prison. That's what many uh, surmise may have been the case. Again, not totally clear, but many think that may have been the case. Um, <clears throat> as, uh, as this is where uh, Timothy had uh, been serving. All right. Um, Okay, any thoughts? Any other thoughts yet? All right, let's have somebody read verse 13. Who wants to read verse 13? Yeah, Amy? Okay, short little verse, but there's a lot there. Uh, so he says, uh, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. Um, and, of course, coming from uh, Ephesus, you would probably pass through uh, Troas. Um, and uh, the cloak was kind of like a, a poncho. It was warm. It was wool. And that would have been very important as far as being in a, a dark, uh, damp prison cell uh, with winter coming. Uh, bring the cloak. And he says, I don't know, we don't know why he left it uh, with Carpus. We don't know who Carpus was. Uh, I think he carped on and on, so they called him Carpus. I have no, 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 that's not true. Uh, but uh, we don't know who Carpus was. Uh, obviously an unknown believer, somebody that Paul trusted and left uh, his stuff there with him. Uh, so let's see here. So let's see here. Um, here we are, Troas. So here he is down in Ephesus. Uh, he's going to, you know, go over here, and then uh, Timothy's going to, be relieved and, and come on here up here to Troas to Carpus and get his stuff, probably make his way over, you know, and then eventually on to Rome here. 
Okay. Um, so uh, bring the cloak uh, when you come and the books, Biblia. Uh, the idea, Biblia, we get the word Bible from Biblia. And uh, it's the idea of uh, uh, paper, if you will, that was made out of papyrus plants. It was very inexpensive and put in rolls or scrolls. And bring, bring, the, bring the books, uh, the, paper, the paper scrolls, and especially, though, he says, especially the parchments. Parchments were more expensive. They were made out of animal skins, uh, vellum. Uh, they were more durable, higher quality, uh, more expensive, and probably, um, most likely, had the scriptures on them. And so uh, it's interesting that he's uh, saying, bring the books. Uh, yeah, bring, bring my coat. Bring, bring the cloak but, and the books, but especially the parchments. Um, he never lost interest in study, by the way. He could have said, you know, I'm not going to really need that stuff anymore. Do bring the coat. <laughs> but don't, you don't have to worry about the books because I'm not going to study much more here. No, right to the very end. Uh, he's intensely wanting the books and, and, the, and the parchments here. Uh, John Calvin made an interesting comment at this point. <clears throat> Still more does this passage refute the madness of the fanatics who despise books and condemn all reading and boast only of their private inspirations by God. But we should note that this passage commends continual reading to all godly men as a thing from which they can profit. You know, that's an interesting observation because it seems to me way back in John Calvin's day, you had the fanatics who are going by experience instead of really paying attention to sound doctrine. It's all... Boy, you know, we've got the same thing with charismania uh, today. Nothing new here. Uh, the, their private inspirations, that's what uh, they're, they're condemning reading, and they're all into their private inspirations, he says. Very interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Anything else there before we go on? Yes, Rob? Yeah, I, I, you know, this is kind of the, the last thing, the last word. I don't know that we know that. Yeah, I hope so. He told him to come quickly. <laughs> Did he get there in time? That's a good question. It's a, it's a great question. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I mean, this is the last letter from Paul. So unless we had some extra other source... And, you know, anybody writing related to Paul after this? Well, I don't know that we have anything like that. Yep, it's a good question. All right, yeah. You know, they, there, there's, there is scholars who have studied that kind of thing, but I can't tell you off the top of my head here, uh, you know, yeah. It would take, yeah, it wouldn't, yeah, it wasn't like just two or three days. It depends where you're coming from, obviously, in the Roman Empire. But, yeah, I think it was slow. Sailing or walking? And all those connections? Yeah, yeah, walking um, or, yeah, by boat, probably be a process there. Uh, Nope, I don't think so. We were talking, yeah, well... Maybe not years, but months. Yeah, probably months. Yeah, so. All right, those are good. Anything else? 
All right, let's have somebody read verses 14 through 16. Who wants to read that? 14 through 16. They kind of all go together. Yes, Andrew. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so uh, Alexander, we don't know who Alexander was either. Um, some say, well, maybe he's the Alexander that Paul delivered unto Satan in, in 1 Timothy. <laughs> but we don't know that. Uh, you know, he's said to be the coppersmith. Some think, well, maybe he was uh, one of the people who made the idols. And, and because of Paul's preaching, the, the idol business went down and he was very opposed. We, but we don't really know a context here other than what we're told. Uh, Alexander was a very common name, uh, so lots of people were named Alexander, uh, so we really don't know whether he was an informer uh, against Paul who told the Roman authorities and kind of tattled on Paul saying, well, here's what he's doing, and he's causing all kinds of unrest, and, and the Roman authorities then went and arrest. We don't know all the background, um, whether he was involved in idolatry, and, and because of that, he was opposed to Paul's gospel uh, preaching. We don't know other than he says uh, he, he, the coppersmith, Alexander the coppersmith, did me much harm. We don't want, know what that means exactly. Uh, probably some kind of oppression and persecution. Uh, he was a leader of some kind, evidently, but uh, exactly the extent of it, we don't know. All Paul says here, by the way, is may the Lord repay him according to his works. Really, it's stronger than this, more literally. It's the Lord will repay him according to his works. And so uh, I think it's uh, Paul's way of, of giving him over to the Lord, uh, letting the Lord deal with him. The Lord will deal with him. The Lord will repay him. And I'm sure Paul would hope that he comes to repentance, but if he doesn't, the Lord's going to repay him. Uh, we have in Romans 12, 19, Paul saying, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's not taking matters into his own hands. It's not a flesh outburst against him. Uh, he's given it over to the Lord. Uh, the Lord will repay. And that's what he says. Uh, the Lord will repay him according to his works. And, and indeed he will. And we read again here in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. I mean, God ultimately is the judge. And he will, he will right all things in the end. Uh, he will repay uh, the wicked according to their, their works. And so uh, this is really what uh, Paul is, is reflecting on here. The Lord will repay him according to his works. And then he says, you also must beware of him. Uh, I don't know if he's in Ephesus or if he's somewhere along the way there, but he says, watch out for this guy. He's a dangerous guy. By the way, isn't it interesting? Um, God is sovereign, but there's also human responsibility uh, God takes care of his people, but there's also the place of uh, watching out, uh, being diligent in that sense. Uh, use your head. Uh, we want to be soft-hearted, but not soft-headed, right? There's a place where you watch out for these wicked people. He says, he did me much harm. Watch out. Watch out for him. And he says, for he has resisted our words. Obviously, he had a problem with the gospel message that Paul was uh, propagating. And uh, he was resisting uh, the words of the Apostle Paul very strongly. So he's saying, watch out for this guy. 
All right. Uh, any thoughts there before we go to verse 16? Okay, verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Uh, this is interesting. At my first defense, he's evidently referring to the preliminary hearing. Uh, and this is normally how Rome would work. You would have a preliminary hearing to see if it would go to the, the final phase of the trial. And uh, you understand the context here is uh, where uh, Nero is the, the Caesar. Nero is uh, in charge. And Nero was a, a tremendous persecutor of Christians. It's about in 67 A.D. at this point. And uh, just a little bit of context here. <clears throat> After the great fire of Rome in A.D. 64, Nero made Christians the scapegoats and treated them viciously. Christians were sewn alive in animal skins and released into an arena where wild dogs then tore them to pieces. Christians were coated with pitch and then lit on fire as human candles in Nero's garden parties. Uh, that tends to have a chilling effect on taking a stand, right? Uh, yeah, that was the context here with Paul. I mean, this is in the, in, the, in the aftermath of tremendous persecution from Nero. I mean, that's what's happening. And so, you know, you might want to really think about whether I'm going to stand with Paul in that kind of context. I might be lit up as a candle tomorrow night if I, if I do that. And so that's the kind of context we're talking about. Again, in 2 Timothy 1, uh, God has not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. So again, uh, needing to exhort even Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. Uh, it's a context, a chilling context, as far as nobody wants to really uh, put their head out in that kind of a situation, lest you get the same type of uh, treatment. So he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Isn't that amazing? No one stood with me. Um, why do you think Paul was on trial? We, we know it was because of the gospel, as he says here. But what kind of charges might Rome bring against somebody like Paul? Insurrection. You know, if you, if you taught really anything contrary in terms of the Roman gods, of which Caesar was one, supposedly, and you caused unrest, civil unrest, that, that'd be enough right there. Uh, I mean, Rome put down any a threat of unrest whatsoever. And so probably, you know, there was a charge of treason because of the unrest and, and the, how Paul stirred things up everywhere he went. Um, let's see here. The word defense is the Greek word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. It refers to a reasoned defense. It was a response against the indictment that was made against him. And we think here is probably what's in the case here. Uh, the trial had two stages. The first phase was preliminary to decide whether the case had merits to go to the final phase where judgment would be rendered and carried out. At this first trial, Paul would have had opportunity to defend himself and call for character witnesses. But nobody was there for him. He stood all alone. Well, that didn't carry much weight with Rome. I mean, if you don't have a single character witness to stand for you, it's like, okay, uh, you're probably guilty, right? Uh, when you, have, when you don't have anyone to vouch for you, then you must be guilty as charged. So went the reasoning of Rome. So that nobody would stand with him what was telling. Uh, 
Okay, he must be a troublemaker. Nobody's standing forward and saying, hey, he's not a troublemaker. Uh, he must have bad character. Nobody's coming to the fore and, and vouching for him that he's a, a man of integrity and a good citizen, even though Paul said to submit yourself to the governing authorities. I mean, it's in Romans there. But uh, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Forsook is a, is a strong word. By the way, this is the very same word that's used of Demas in verse 10. Demas has forsaken me. All forsook me. You say, well, boy, we got a problem with Demas. I guess we got a problem with everybody in Rome, right? No, nobody stood with me. All forsook me. They wouldn't stand with me. Evidently, this is before Luke showed up on the scene. Uh, all forsook me. You know, Rome had a lot of Christians. Not a single one was willing to stand for, with Paul. Nobody. I mean, he's all by himself there. At this preliminary trial, this is where you bring your friends, uh, those that are character witnesses for you, uh, anybody that's going to stand with you, and nope, nobody. Isn't that amazing? I'd like to think if Paul was on the scene, I'd, I'd be there. How about you? I'd like to think so. You know, I don't want to be Peter. Lord, you can count on me. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't know him. Uh, boy, I guess we're all human here, aren't we? Christians can be pretty fickle sometimes. Uh, oh, my goodness. It was rough. And I think this was weighing heavy on Paul in the last days of his life. We read about chapter 1. Uh, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Wow. There's a lot of abandoning the ship here. At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. Wow, this, this is a really, I think this might have been the, the, the greatest challenge in Paul's life. I mean, it's really tough when, when nobody will stand with you. People you've built into, you put your life into the Christian community. You'd think at the end, there's going to be somebody standing with me, even if they have to die for it. Nope, nope, all forsook me. Well, it's kind of a lesson in a sense that, uh, you know, only God is completely faithful and reliable at the end of the day. Only God. Uh, what, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Amen. That is exactly right. That's exactly it, right there. You nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah, they were thinking about their own, their own skin here and weren't willing to take the stand here at this point, that's for sure. And notice Paul's attitude, though. He says, may it not be charged against them. You know, I think he was disappointed, had to be hurtful, but uh, he wasn't bitter. He wasn't bitter. He didn't say, Lord, I hope they get no reward. <laughs> he didn't say that. May it not be charged against them. And that's kind of interesting because it seems to be a little different tone than what he had said about Alexander, right? Notice what he said about Alexander. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He didn't say that about these believers. Seems to me Alexander's probably an unbeliever. But here with the fellow believers, seems to me he's pretty merciful. He's pretty gracious with these believers in their weakness, in their weakness. And uh, kind of sympathetic towards human weakness in, in the believers. Well, let me uh, share just a few slides to finish out here tonight. We started here, right? Did, did we not? Yes, we did. 
Life is about relationships. Ministry is about relationships. Fighting the good fight involves working with people, struggling in the context of people, some who love you, some who hate you, some who are loyal, some who are disloyal. It's a battle to the pearly gates. And much of the battle involves all kinds of interpersonal tensions and conflicts. This was true even for the Apostle Paul. And it was true right to the bitter end, if you will. Um, it's always going to be all kinds of relationships, and uh, that's part of the, the battle. Uh, some in the end, like Demas, prove unfaithful to the team. Some in the end, like Mark, prove to be useful. Some, like Alexander, are openly hostile. Some are true believers but are weak in their support, as all those who do not stand with Paul. And some are loyal, like Luke and Timothy, and let's not f- forget uh, uh, Cretans and, and uh, Titus and Tychicus. There's always a faithful remnant. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And finally, in the end, there are the loyal and the disloyal. There are team players and self-serving players. But what will matter on Judgment Day is how we lived as servants in tune with God's family program called the church. A servant's attitude is seen in how we serve others, not ourselves. And how we serve others is reflective of how we serve Christ. Uh, Those that serve faithfully will be rewarded with an enduring crown of righteousness. And... uh, May it be so in my life and yours. So that's really what it's all about. Okay, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yes, Andrew. Amen. Amen to that. Praise the Lord for restoration. And God is not finished with us. Amen. Continues to work with us. You know, it's always kind of interesting. Praise the Lord for John Mark, but you got in the same context, Demas. What are the, you know, I I really don't want to end up like Demas. (laughs) John Mark, okay. (laughs) But it's such a contrast there. All right. Anything else? Yes, Dwayne. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, amen. That, thanks for sharing that, brother. Amen. I know you've shared that with me personally before. Yeah, I mean, just, boy, how, how hard that is. You're pouring your life into these people, and nobody will come to your defense. <laughs> Thank you for that private encouragement. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thanks, brother. 
All right. Someone else? Anyone else? Okay. If not, let's go ahead and